I was a sophomore in college when digital media piracy was at its peak, but I never stole or illegally downloaded music. No, sir, not me. I had roommates for that. One of those roommates would download albums, burn them on the CDs, and then drop them off completely unsolicited on my desk. I never asked for these bootleg albums, and I'm not stressing that in order to absolve myself of any culpability in media theft. I am mentioning it again because... I always found it kind of funny. I made no requests and thus never knew what to expect. Just every once in a while, John delivered a new CD like the bastard son of BGM or Columbia House. This was how I discovered the Black Keys and the White Stripes, as well as albums by Yola Tango and Seeger Ross. It's also how I discovered one of my all-time favorite albums, Songs for a Blue Guitar by Red House Painters. That is not the subject for this episode, though hopefully I'll get to cover it sometime in the future. Because all I had was an unlabeled disc and the band's name and album title written in blue permanent marker, I didn't even know the names of the songs when I first listened to them. But those songs really spoke to me lyrically, musically, in every way. So, I went online and looked up the album, and that's how I discovered that one of my favorite tracks all mixed up, wasn't a Red House Painters original. It was a cover, originally recorded by the Cars. I filed that fact away in my mental archive where it settled next to a memory of another Cars cover song that I really liked. In this case, the song was You're All I've Got Tonight, recorded by the Smashing Pumpkins as a B-side to Bullet with Butterfly Wings. Well, one good cover of a Cars song? That could be a fluke. But two? That prompted a closer look. The next time I went shopping, not pirating the music, mind you, I'm talking actual physical music store in Iowa City, though I have long since forgotten what the store was called, so let's just call it Record Revolution. (laughs) And flipping through the CD racks, I found a couple of Cars albums, including their self-titled album from 1978. Looking at the track list, I couldn't believe my luck. This album had the original versions of both All Mixed Up and You're All I've Got Tonight. It also had Just What I Needed, I knew that song pretty well from the radio, and it had, wait, Moving in Stereo. That was the song from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. The song from the Phoebe Cates scene. You know the scene. Even if you've never seen the movie, you know the Phoebe Cates scene. I bought the album, listened to it, loved it, devoured it. A few weeks later, I bought the car's greatest hits. And that, hopefully by now you realize, is the subject of this special tribute episode of Fire & Water Records. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, here to share with you some of my favorite tracks by the Cars, whose lead singer and songwriter, Rick Ocasek, died on September 15th. Here to join me on this episode is the man who introduced me to the Smashing Pumpkins cover of You're All I've Got Tonight, and the movie Fast Times at Ridgemont High 2, my brother, Neil Daly. What's up, Neil? <laughs> How's it going, man? Don't forget, I also believe that uh, I spent the summer painting houses with uh, our uncle and uh, might have used red. So I could <laughs> use the red house painter reference, too. <laughs> All right. We're, we're just going to go with that one. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, man? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So before we get into our list, because, again, just like we've done before, we've got about 13 songs that we're going to go over uh, the cars but before we dive into that list, what did you think about it? When did you first discover them? Kind of what was your overall impression of them? 
boy, you know, I, I'll tell you what, I'm going to come at this. I'm certainly not as much a fan of the cars as you are. What I can say is that I've got an appreciation and a respect for them. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'll speak a lot about the songs from that aspect. Um, I, I discovered them. God, I, I, you know, it was part of the birth of MTV. I know that they were hits. You know, their first album came out in the 70s and was a huge hit off the bat without video. As a matter of fact, I'll even talk later on as we go on about how their demo circulated and got popular, which then they re-recorded as a main album. But, you know, I think my my introduction to the Cars had to be the fact that in the early birthdays of MTV, and I'm talking the early couple of, of years Music video technology, if anybody remembers back, were basically kind of relegated to live performances. That's really, you didn't see a whole lot more than that. There were a few cutting edge uh, avant-garde or as they would later get awarded for video vanguard type bands out there, but not many, not at the beginning. And the cars had that niche. They were one of those bands that whether or not I liked the new wave kind of sound of the, of the, of some of their music in the MTV era uh, in the eighties, um, I, I definitely remember their videos were like you must see TV. Like you kind of had to stop and pay attention and be like, "Wait, what the? What the hell is uh, Rick Ocasek's a fly?" And, and so you know, there were there were some things, and we'll talk about those things as they go. But there were two things that jumped out, or, or probably three, I would say. Number one, I think it was the fact that their videos were cool. Yeah. Number two, they kind of launched that fashion. I mean, they might not have been the pioneers of the the suit, zoot suit jackets and skinny ties, but they certainly kind of, you know, they captured it and ran with it. And then number three, this is kind of a stretch here, but Rick Ocasek kind of had that. He was a precursor to the Billy Corgans of the world in the sense that he was a goofy, langly looking dude. <laughs> He's tall and creepy and seems like a looks like a vampire. He had dated supermodels. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I, that kind of like was like, hey, I want to be a rock star now. <laughs> he certainly does not fit the mold of what you would associate with rock star, like celebrity stats. Like, certainly. Who the, the look of rock stars in 1983 or whatever was not the same as the look of rock stars, you know. In, in no, you know, it, it's funny. And as you mentioned that, too, like I even if you look back, like even his posturing, holding the guitar and strumming seemed like somebody faking it. <laughs> like, like if I look back on some of those videos, they always had a pink guitar, like a pink Jagmaster, an old Fender, which I yeah, actually I think is cool. I liked his guitar. But the point is, I, I would have had no idea at my young age learning to play the guitar myself. I would have never bought him as a musician. Mm-hmm. I would have thought, okay, he's the the weird figurehead that they decided to put up front as lead singer because he looks goth in a new wave band. I would have never known that he const- that he wrote them all mm-hmm. because he doesn't look like a guy that can do anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gosh, it's yeah. That was one of my first thoughts. Like, I, I've always had the association with what what Rick Ocasek looked like because it's such a weird signature look, and he always had the glass, like the dark glasses. Like he looked, he looked like somebody who was a little bit too nerdy, but always wanted to be in the Ramones. <laughs> but like, like, yeah, you the nerdy, know, the nerdy kid brother that they wouldn't let in the door. <laughs> yeah, or. Or like the <laughs> like the nerdy geeky brother of like Roy Orbison or something, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. Like like yeah, but you're you're absolutely right. Like there's just something about it. And and here's the weirdest thing. His look never changed. Oh. Talk about I mean that's that's hard. It's actually hard to do to last in an industry for what, thirty years, forty years, and never ever change your style. I mean, I've seen pictures of him recently as recently as the last couple of years before he passed away. 
when he's still, you know, he was still as a producer, he's still doing stuff. He was working with like Weezer and things Mm -hmm. and he looked the exact same, (laughs) a black sport coat over like a black shirt with a skinny tie and his same Rod Stewart black hair and, and, and glasses. And he never changed. Like you wouldn't even have like a talk. Yeah. He's a guy that I could see being like the undead. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's he honestly he could have been like if Tim Burton created a rock star, it would be it would be Rick Ocasek. <laughs> oh man, yes, absolutely. I can see yeah, absolutely I can see that, yeah. As we'll get into the the songs, I'll kinda of talk more about like my appreciation for their their sound quality, but the one thing that I would say is you could play a song that I'd never heard before, and I can tell you if it's a Kara song or not. Like, mm. Even with, even without mm-hmm. the vocals, because as we'll also decide, like they had two different vocalists. Um, yeah. uh, the bassist Benjamin Orr wrote and sang a lot of their popular songs too, and a lot of the songs on this list were actually yep. by the the bassist Benjamin Orr. Yep. Um, but even without the vocals, like just like the sound of the music was so signature because it was so experimental and they were doing so many weird things. So yeah, it's just like, I always knew who they were. And, and yeah, this wasn't like, it was never a band that like, because I, because I mean, by the time I got into them, we we're talking about like the, the early and mid two thousands, their prime was well past them and everything. So I was getting yeah. their greatest hits and, and like just like one or two other albums. So I was listening to them. I never had really a drive to seek them out or see them live or follow right. them or, or do a lot of research. But it was a thing where I was like, just, I'm in the mood, you know, I'm, I'm getting in my car or something. I'm going for a drive. I'm just going to put this on because it's good to listen to. I just, I'm in the mood for that. So yeah. it's always kind of like that type of thing where I just every once in a while I would just be like you know what? if I if I play this CD I know I'm going to enjoy it I know I'm going to have- yeah I think I think even with me to I think it was a little bit more of like why you know there was something about so many other people respected them and talked about them mm-hmm. and so I think that was why you know probably the only thing I was like maybe I'm the one that's wrong you know that whatever that cliche is fifty thousand Elvis fans can't <laughs> be wrong you know kind of thing it was like so many other people always credited them with influential important steps in music that made me kind of want to go back and like I wanted to like them I wanted to be like, yeah. okay, well, you know, even even if some of these songs don't, I can't even hear a guitar. It sounds like keyboard synth, new wave, '80s stuff. I'm like, but you know, there's something. Everybody seems to love this band. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, then uh, let's actually get into our track list, and I'm going to lead things off with the song "You Might Think." obvious i I mean this was like the the first and biggest single that i ever heard from them it's the song that i most associate with the band like when i think of the cars i think of this video and the song it's catchy as hell it's got a good hook and they're just (laughs) one of the things that you'll hear me say like there are just so many different eclectic sounds and instruments in this thing it's just sort of like the signatures the way they mixed the song like you can you can piece apart like you, you listen to this with headphones or earbuds in and really just pick apart like what they were doing and 
apparently, like, they would just, like, they would cobble together, like, cutting-edge, I mean, for the late 1970s and early 1980s, cutting-edge, like, electronics and computer technology to invent these musical sounds and notes and, and patterns that nobody had ever heard before, and because of the way electronic technology moves, like, as soon as they did it for one album, it was obsolete by the time they had to record another one, so they never <laughs> used these things again. So, yeah. that is just one of the things I liked, and it also... The sound is one thing that really establishes this as kind of like the quintessential car song. The other thing is the lyrics and the vocals. It has a very, kind of what you were identifying, there's a sort of tongue-in-cheek quality to the, to the songs, a little bit of a playfulness. Yeah, um, I see again, that with a again, lot of their songs we'll talk about. And, and you wouldn't expect it from a guy who looks like Rick O'Casey. <laughs> you, you would expect very dour, goth, emo type of music, and that's nothing like what they sound like, really. Um, yeah, like, why doesn't he sing like Nick Cave? <laughs> exactly, exactly. He looks like a little bit more wrinkly Nick Cave. <laughs> he looks like Nick Cave who's been in the sun too long. <laughs> yeah, he's brooding. <laughs> but yeah, I just I like that there's kind of like almost a self-aware jokey quality that as he's he's singing to a woman, he knows what he really looks like and he knows what his basic sex appeal must be. Yeah. Um, and I just yeah, I, I, mean, I love that about it. Yeah, I li- I liked yeah, I'll I'll tell you this is kind of funny in true confession time. This wasn't really one of my favorite songs. Now, it's certainly one of the most memorable car songs I remember from childhood. And this is just strictly because of the video. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, for those of you that haven't seen it, this was like one of the very first computer graphic technology videos that they made. It was like it was like the precursor to Money for Nothing by the Dire Straits kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. But this was a very very neat kind of like Tron video where <laughs> Rick Ocasek goes into a computer and then it's it was so it was neat in the sense that like every time it came on I watched it remembering like just like what the how are they doing this I couldn't tell if it was animated I couldn't tell if it was a cartoon it was I just didn't know so it was fascinating in that sense but I didn't really like the song until Rick Ocasek died a month ago and then as you know I kind of even before you suggested something like let's let's do this cars podcast I kind of like picked up the guitar and started like revisiting some of the songs just you know playing strumming the acoustic guitar at home on the couch mm-hmm. and this is one of those weird songs that like when you strip away all the keyboard parts the catchy you know all that all the 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 hook out of it and play the chords it's a pretty good song and then all of a sudden I was like wow this would be a really neat stripped down acoustic song and like you said, lyrically, it's almost like a song of metaphors, a song of uh, like a song of simile. It's it's got this very kind of yeah, like a playful kind of tongue in cheek thing, which suits the video really well. Mm-hmm. But in that sense, yeah. So that's kind of you know, it's. I think I now have an appreciation of the song because now as an adult, I study chord structure and I study melody and I study lyric more than I did you know in whatever nineteen eighty something, whatever year this came out. Yeah. I don't know if they ever did it, but I would really like to see like an album of some of their big hits and their songs, like with that sort of like stripped down, either like an unplugged version. Oh man, that would be like, cool. Even though, because I mean, as as the the two examples that I cited, I, "You're All I've Got Tonight" by the Pumpkins, mm-hmm. and uh, "All Mixed Up" by the Red House Bunners. Like, if those are any indication, like I mean, you can take the crazy sort of synth electronica sound out of these songs and the hooks are still there the melody they're yep. still great yep. rock songs yeah so i mean I, I think that's a testament that i mean these songs could be adapted to be a little bit more mainstream rock or or to even to uh, sort of other genres and they would still be really accessible and really catchy Mm-hmm. So I would like to see actually somebody like experiment with that and try that if if the cars never did it themselves and maybe they did. 
Yeah, maybe they did. That's worth that's worth you know investigating because I do agree. I think that this would be this would be a really cool band to see doing unplugged. That would yeah. be really neat. Kind of kind of in the same. This is not not really a not re- a, a direct line comparison, but you know I think you know people probably had the same reaction when Nirvana was going to do unplugged. Mm-hmm. I think people were probably like, wait, they've never done an acoustic song or Polly, <laughs> I guess, was like a, a throwaway. But that kind of thing, like all of a sudden, and that became huge because every song sounded different. It was cool, but all we knew about them was just distorted fuzz guitars. So, yeah, this would be kind of neat to take a new wave band, strip it down, and do an unplugged. Yeah, and I, I a lot of times I like when things do. I mean, Jay Z did like an unplugged storyteller style uh, like album, like with just like an acoustic set, and it was really, really good. Yeah, so, I mean, let's go to LL Cool J. Yeah, so you can you can have like artists that aren't necessarily known for that style, and really kind of throw you know throw everything out and, and strip it down just to the the music of it and it's good so anyway. yeah plus plus almost when you strip everything down like bring it down to the bare basics i have a hunch that these songs would take on a little bit more of a melancholy kind of darker mm. uh tone to it and everything i don't know why i just feel that way and you personally are a very depressing person so i could see <laughs> how you would love that <laughs> i would get in that towards the back half of my list <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do you have? All right. So my, my first song that I wanted to pick was Bye Bye Love. It's orangey style. This song was one of the first ones I remember hearing, and this is pre-MTV, pre... I mean, honestly, I think this was, this had to be us on Delcy Drive when we had, like, the stereo rig set up that Dad built by the door, by the front door. But I remember he had a couple of albums that were always left out. No, we're talking... I'm talking albums. Like, for those... You know, there, some of your listeners may not even know that vinyl existed once upon a time, but we're talking... You know, I remember Blondie. He had a, a couple Blondie albums a ton of Neil Young albums, and then he had a Cars album. And I remember this was, I, you know, I, I certainly would have never picked it out and played it myself, so I'm sure I must have heard it from him. But this was a song that sounded like, sounded like Blondie. It sounded like it was like at the tail end of punk and rock and kind of getting in towards new wave. But I always liked it. I thought it was catchy. I liked the chorus. I liked the chorus a lot. And I've checked out recently, I've checked out um, live versions of them playing some of these songs from the first album, but like live performances from the late 70s when the guitars are a little harder and they sound a little more like a rock band live than they even do on the albums. And this is a, this is a good rock song. It's a good pop rock song when you see some of the live clips. So that's why I picked this one. It just kind of has, it's simple like a lot of their stuff is, but I found this song really, really catchy and, you know, a lot of the stuff on this list is going to go steer towards the new wave sound because mm-hmm. I really kind of discovered them more when, with MTV. But this was kind of before they became a new wave band. This was like a rock song. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, another song by uh, Ben Orr, too. The- right. Yeah, though the one thing I will say too, and I, I should mention this before we go farther, is because of MTV, 
I thought for sure Rick Ocasek was the lead singer of every song. I had no idea. So even when I went back and heard some of the older ones, I never made the connection that that's another guy's voice. It was always just kind of an assumption until the song, which we will talk about later on. You know, one of their biggest hits was a Ben Orr sang song, uh, song, song, if that makes sense. Um, But so when I went back and re-listened to some of the older ones now, I was surprised at how much Ben Orr actually sang. He he did quite a bit of work in their early days. So that was that was just that was just like a, a kind of interesting surprise that I found now. And that was my assumption for, I mean, the long before I was really into them, I just thought they had the one lead singer. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then when I was first getting into them, like for for a while, I, I was kind of thinking about that. And then I knew or did some of them, but I, yeah, it was probably relatively recently. Uh, you know, actually, it was probably researching for this that I realized how many of their songs that he had done. Me too. Um, Me too. I, same. I, I knew that he had done some, but like, I was, like when I was looking at our list, I'm like, oh my god, half of these, almost, <laughs> almost half of these are by him. Right. All right. What you got next? Moving on to my next one, and this is the one that I mentioned before: moving in stereo. <laughs> If you need to take a moment to collect yourself after picturing the Phoebe Cates scene, uh, this is another Ben Orr one. <laughs> this is another one by Ben Wait, Orr. wait, wait. Give me a sec. All right. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I, I can't imagine you don't know if you're listening to this, but it's from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. The scene is Phoebe Cates coming out of the swimming pool in a red bikini. It is yes, one it of is. the most parodied scenes in movie history. Um, actually, they sort of reversed it uh, for season three of Stranger Things, um, <laughs> the first episode, when they actually have a male lifeguard walking into like the public swimming pool and all the ladies checking him out. It's kind of a funny scene. But beyond that, it's a great kind of grooving kind of song. Like it, it, it feels like it's in slow motion, so it lends itself to that kind of scene in the movie. Like mm-hmm. the way the song plays out and the melody and everything feels a little bit slow and a little bit stripped down. Like just tons of sounds, tons of synths, feels very instrumental. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. it, it kind of feels almost like a movie score or soundtrack type of thing. Like you wouldn't associate it with, you wouldn't just put this on a regular album. It, it belongs in a movie almost. Yeah, I would actually the about the only thing I would add to it. I agree with you. For some reason, when I hear it, I I can hear like it's almost like I hear potential in it. As you know, they've had multiple songs you referenced. They've had a number of songs covered. This is a song I would love to hear covered. Mm-hmm. I kind of I kind of like you know we both talked about our mutual appreciation of somebody like Alana Del Rey before, mm-hmm. but like somebody like that to do like kind of a goth remix or like if Butch Vig and Garbage took mm-hmm. over. Something something like this. This song, if it was remixed a little more electronic than it already is, um, with like a like a club track kind of bass thing, this song could be really, really good right now. Oh man, I'm hearing that in my head already. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. 
God, that'd be good. Yep. See, I'm still picturing Phoebe Cates. So. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm picturing Shirley Manson from Garbage. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm picturing Judge Reinhold. Damn it. Move on. <laughs> damn it, damn it. <laughs> All right. Well, let us move on. And what do you have for number four? All right. The next one I got, and you're going to love how I came to this one. The next one is Let's Go. song <laughs> this song i first discovered as a cover song but it was not covered by by another rock band i discovered i discovered this song on a chipmunks album <laughs> this song was covered by alvin and the chipmunks on the album chipmunk punk which had among other things god i'm thinking like my sharona and uh, I want to be sedated or something. It was, I, I, I mean, it was just, it was a great album as a kid. And you don't kind of make the, you don't kind of make the connotation that these songs are written by other artists. You just think like, oh, that's a cool chipmunk song. And now the funny thing is when you listen back to it now, I mean, they didn't change the lyrics or anything. So I would very much love to hear Alvin nowadays singing, I love the nightlife, baby. <laughs> like, I can't, I'm sure they left that in. But that was how I first discovered this song. But it also had kind of a weird, like, the it had, like, the double claps, you know, yeah. that yeah, kind yeah. of thing, which was big in that for a very short window of time. Rick Springfield did it. Lots of the, <laughs> like, like, that was a thing. Like, in choruses, there was always a double clap. And it was awesome. So, eventually, at some point, I heard the Cars version. I couldn't tell you when or where. But my trigger was always like, wait, that's a chipmunk song. <laughs> I'm like, Why are the cars covering the chipmunks? That's weird. And uh, <laughs> so that's that's about all I've got for it. But this still to this, whether whether I'm listening to it at 72 RPMs here in Alvin sing it or listening to the cars version. This is a good rock song. <laughs> yeah, it is. Like I, I, I hear like the, the rift of this, that down, 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 down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Yeah. It's good. I, I don't have much more to say. I, I, another Ben Or. This is like three Ben Or songs in a row, um, <laughs> right? Or, or Ben Or covering Alvin, <laughs> right? Of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh gosh. Yeah, I forgot that, that Chipmunk album. There was. Or this is a weird segue. I remember watching <laughs> Alvin and the Chipmunks cartoon as a kid. There was, a, like, I think like a, a Valentine's Day special. Like like a little mini movie episode where they did a song called "I Give Up on Love," Aww. and I like I heard that song like that song imprinted like I liked that song so much I never heard like an original version of that until like two years ago. Somehow I started thinking I was like, was that a real song? Did like a real song? Like I could sing the lyrics. I knew <laughs> two verses. There's one where Alvin sings and one when his girlfriend sings. I don't remember her name. Brittany. Um, Brittany, thank you. Yeah, come on, man. Um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, like I could, <laughs> I heard that song and everything. And for some reason, I just had that weird rogue memory like pop up in my head. I was, like, was that an 
actual song? Did they cover? They must have. They didn't do like original songs for that cartoon. So I had to look it up and find. And it was like, yeah, it was like a new wave pop song. And I was like, all right, it's okay. I kind of like the Chipmunks version better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, I'm telling you, that Chipmunk Punk album was good. It was really good. They had all kinds of stuff. I mean, I've heard. I remember back then there were. I had a couple of Chipmunks albums too. I had albums with them doing like, you know, something by Billy Joel. I want to say. <laughs> I, I couldn't even remember. Maybe it was old time rocking. No, that was Bob Seeker. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, we're getting off track. But yeah. Alvin, the J, he did he did this song proud. Like he made me like this song. And then when I heard the Cars version, I'm like, that's a pretty good cover of the, car, of the Chipmunks. Yeah, yeah. All right. Next song is My Best Friend's Girl. Here she comes again when she's dancing beneath the starry sky. As I was listening, I've always liked this song, and as I was really kind of trying to break it down, I had a little bit of a mini epiphany about the song and about the band itself. The guitar riff after the chorus reminds me of like a 50s... Not quite rockabilly, but something like that. Like a rock song. That's, I'm laughing because those are my notes. I said it was rockabilly. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay. But so here's the thing. After I thought about that, I realized... A lot of their songs feel like they have the writing or lyric structure of those 50s rock songs by like Buddy Holly and Richie Valens, like those things. Like, yeah. they kind of feel like teenage rock songs from that era, but injected with this weird 80s synth pop sound. Yeah. Like, I think if you stripped away a lot of that, like, their songs would, they, like, without that signature, like, car sound, like if you just did like stripped down guitar versions of them, like like without bring like modernizing them, they would sound like throwback tunes almost because of like the lyrics and the simplicity and like how catchy it would sound like something from like like the from before the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, I kind of thought this one too was like a little bit all over the map. Like there was, you know, it had like it had a cool bass line, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which was which kind of dominated the song in the finger picking guitar and the post chorus and all the stuff that you mentioned. But you know, some of it, like part of it was rockabilly, and part of it I thought was maybe like maybe a little bit more like early '60s surf rock. Like if Dick Dale like played guitar for this album or something. Like there were just certain certain things that I found like here this song among all others makes me wonder who influenced them you know because they influenced so many other artists as we talk about there's going to be a whole mess of like post post punk or you know um post disco early 80s new wave you know kind of stuff like you know i know bands like the cure were heavily influenced by the cars and stuff like that but like who influenced the cars because they're all over the map and this is a really good example of that Ah, that's a good question. I have to go back and like look up an interview with Rick Ocasek and find out like if he ever mentioned that. Talked about like his musical influences. Yeah, I, I mean, was it? I mean, I know, I know, I've heard stories for a long time about like him in a studio. He's very much like, oh god, kind of like a mad scientist. Like I've heard mm-hmm. the guy. I've, I can't think of the guy's name. Mike Mike something from Devo, the founder of Devo. I can't remember the guy's last name. Forgive oh. me, listeners. Uh, is um, it Mothersbro? 
Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, very good. Um, I've heard he's that way where he he invents technology that doesn't exist to get sounds he hears in his head. And I, th- I think maybe, you know, maybe Rick Ocasek is like that. Like maybe, maybe nothing influenced him. Maybe this is all in his head. Wow. I, I mean, I guess, knowing like how innovative and what he does for these songs, I, that wouldn't be such a shock to hear that if he's just sort of like well, self-taught, self-influenced. Well, it is it is very interesting, you know. I think, and again, I don't want to get too far off subject, but you know, we these these like, oh god, these savants of certain things, you know, like an Eddie Van Halen built his own guitars as a you know as a seventeen year old because he couldn't get the sound he wanted, <laughs> and as a seventeen year old kid playing you know heavy rock in L.A., it's like how do how do you not just copy what else is out there? You know, it's like there are certain people that just are. They're they're savants. They're just different, you know. They're it's it's crazy. And Ricky Kasich, obviously, he was, certainly wasn't influenced by fashion, <laughs> <laughs> or he was. It just stopped in the eighteen nineties. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. He's in an Adam Rice book. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's next? All right, so the next song I've got, you already referenced it once, and you knew I was going to call it out at some point on this list. It's "You're All I've Got Tonight." first discovered as you did this song i it came to me on the pumpkins b-side when i uh, to bullet when they'd released maxi singles which was each single off the melancholy which by the way just turned 24 we should give a shout out to that um this week turned 24 which makes me feel old but um they released five singles from that album and each of them had about five b-sides which was incredible considering the amount of work that didn't make the album. It's just insane. And that one of the, the B sides to bullet with butterfly wings were all covers and very, very techno, very electronic influence, which was in 95. That was very, very different because we were still head, you know, knees deep in grunge. So doing anything electronic or new wave was weird and very, you know, it would catch on later on, but at the time it was kind of new. But this song was one of the songs that I heard and just loved, regardless of who played it and who sang it. It had a heavy, heavy stomping kick drum beat, you know, just a, just a heavy, it's, I mean, drums dominate the song. Mm-hmm. So you hear kind of Jimmy just in his, in his primal kind of, you know, aura and just a deep, dark electric guitar riff. 
and it's and it's heavy on the distortion and it's dark and it kind of cuts out the gate on the guitar is is quick so you don't hear any reverb in it you don't hear any it's just it had a neat sound to it and then the chorus just was rocking and catchy yeah. so there was something about it that i just thought the song was fantastic then i knew it was then i found out you know we got the we got the b-sides i studied all of them and I found out it was a Cars song. So, of course, I immediately had to track down the original Cars version of it. And surprisingly, of all of the the B-sides that they did, the Cars version of this I actually thought was a little bit better. And most of the time, because I was so influenced by the Pumpkins at the time, that I kind of put them up on a pedestal where I liked their versions of everything better. Yeah, you know, yeah. like I, I thought I thought Billy Corgan's Landslide was better than Stevie Nicks and stuff. You know, this was just where I was at the time. But this was one of those that I was like, wow, the cars. And there's not a whole lot of difference between the two. You know, they, the Pumpkins kind of right, right. they kind of took that, like, if it's not broke, don't fix it kind of thing. They didn't do a whole lot with it. Like their version of the Cure song, A Night Like This, that was a very, very different version than the Cure's. But this song, this song was pretty much just a straight up rocker like the Cars version, and the Cars version was just as good, you know. And so what's what's amazing is, you know, if this song came out and this, the original came out in the seventies, and it kind of had that same stomping, heavy drum beat and electric guitars, which the Cars aren't known for having fuzz driven guitars. You know, they they didn't play with a whole lot of guitar effects pedals. They played a lot more with keyboard effects. Yeah. This is probably as hard a rocking song as I've heard the Cars do. Yeah, and it's I really like this one too. I, I I left this one for you because I knew you'd pick it. Um, I, I also I really really like the Pumpkins version. And which one is better? I mean, it's they're pretty they're they're close to neck and neck. Yeah, um, sure. And, and I, yeah, and I've always kind of been a little bit disappointed that it was for the Pumpkins version at least that it was buried on a B side and kind of relatively unknown. And yeah. you just kind of reminded me that. Melancholy in the Infinite Sadness was a double album, 14 <laughs> songs on each side, I think. So 28 songs total made the album. Mm-hmm. And with all the singles and the B-sides, they released their box set, The Aeroplane Flies High. That was a collection of all the B-sides. And there was almost 30 songs on that, on that of like yeah. B-sides and outtakes and everything. So half of what they recorded for that, at least half of what they released didn't right. actually make the album because there was still more stuff that they yeah the pasticcio medley had like 60 yeah. something songs and that we never heard full versions of those mm-hmm. but there was like another 60 songs that we heard snippets of so yeah it's pretty insane i mean again without getting too far off track the it's it's an insane amount of work that they did that they put into that when you have an album that more songs don't make the album than make the album and your album's a double album it's kind of like oh my god like how who taught you how to self edit <laughs> I remember in an interview James E. Haas said that it's a concept album the concept is it's really good. <laughs> I've heard that too. I remember when they tripped away. Uh, okay, we're getting. Okay. I'm sorry. We're we're spinning. We're spinning off track. All right. So getting back on track, then my next song is "Drive." Who's gonna tell you when it's too late? Who's gonna tell you things aren't so? Home tonight. 
fun thing about this one as we record it, I just actually mentioned that this song, I mentioned it when I was recording uh, an episode of Film and Water podcast with Rob Kelly, this song was used to masterful effect in the Michael Bay Transformers movie. Um, <laughs> I actually had a moment when Bumblebee as a car turns this on the radio when Shia LaBeouf is looking at Megan Fox and, and like, who's going to drive you home tonight? Um, this is another Ben Orr song. <laughs> I really love this song. It's one of my favorite, possibly top three favorite Cars songs. Um, and, and one of the things I like about it is I think it's like their best kind of standard ballad song. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. Just, it's like a pretty little kind of classical ballad love song. Like it, it might be the most accessible and sort of translatable that you could like associate with like another person. Part of that is, is Ben's lyrics are a little, or his vocal track is a little bit more softer and not quite as signature as, as Ocasek's. But this is a song you kind of mentioned that I'm a depressing person, but like, (laughs) no kidding. Like there was like, there were times like certainly when I was getting into this, when I would just, I would just drive around at night and I was kind of like, I was building my own little mental and physical playlist of like night driving songs when I would just kind of like zone out or I would think about stories or think about just like other, you know, whatever shit's going on. Um, and this was a song that was on that list. It was just like a nice song to listen to, like as I was driving around at night. Um, and for that, yeah, it's always, it's, it's got a high, high place in my heart and my head for, for this, for the cars. I like this one. Yeah. Plus, you and I are very, you and I are very similar in the sense that, like, self apathy is like a, a trait <laughs> that we both, kind of, you know. I think we we like to kind of like there are moments in our lives where we like to be depressed, <laughs> where we we like to feel sorry for ourselves and and kind of thing. And I know that both of us kind of had there's there's plenty of times I feel that need sometimes to listen to sad music and get in the car and kind of just drive around and look at life and wondering what am I doing and Bob, you know, there's just it's. You know, and then I get over it, and then the next day I feel great and go to the gym, and everything's fine. But these are things that we do, and this is one of those songs. There's just something like if, you know, the love of, you know, the girl you have a crush on, it doesn't work out. You find out that she's not interested, even though you put your heart and soul and everything you had to ask her out. And then she's like, no, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to the dance with somebody else. This is the song you play on the way home, mm-hmm. you know. It's that kind of thing. Um, I agree with you. This is probably one of their biggest hits. I, I definitely like this song as for its simplicity. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it's as simple as they come, but it's a great, great ballad. Uh, interesting little footnote uh, about it. The video, which was kind of an interestingly simple black and white video, but got like, I think it won an award. I think it won like video of the year or in new video. I don't know. One of those things. But Timothy Hutton directed it. And really? the actor. Yeah, the actor, Timothy Hunt, directed it. And for some reason, and this is just a testament to how cool Rick Ocasek must be, because I have no idea what party he would have been at where he's talking to Timothy Hutt. (laughs) But the story goes... Timothy Hutton and Rick Ocasek are talking and the album's already out. Timothy Hutton's talking to him and saying, oh my god, I love this album. I love this song. This is my favorite song. And this is what this is what you should do for a video. You know, if you ever make a video for that song, blah, 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 blah. Rick Ocasek liked his pitch so much, he said, okay, you direct it, I'll do it. And that was that was it. Timothy Hutton was like, I don't know, 25? You know, <laughs> as a, he was an actor. You know, maybe he did Ordinary People. That might have been his only thing. But it's like, yeah, sure. Or maybe The Outsiders or something. Like, I can't think of how much more he... No, that was C. Thomas Howell. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, the point is, Timothy Hutton then directed this video and cast Paulina Poritskova, who was a 17-year-old Ukrainian model 
who Rick Ocasek then married. <laughs> so Rick Ocasek, you know, he's got some clout, dude. I don't know what he's packing, but <laughs> he's got he's got something. Had Timothy Hutton directed anything before that or since? I don't think yes. I don't. Well, he wasn't a director. It was almost like a dare. It was almost like a dare. Like I could see the band going, "All right, you pitch the idea, you do it. It's on you now." And yeah, I mean, and and try. I mean, I that stuff's on Wikipedia. You can look that stuff up. But it's just, I can't. I want to know like what put them together in the first place. (laughs) Like, how did that conversation come up? And why would you know? Did Rick Kasich know who Timothy Hutton was, or was it just some kid at a party? Wow. <laughs> okay. Well, if you, now it's your turn. Follow that up with something. <laughs> oh God! Great. Thanks. Well, can we talk about Phoebe Cates coming out of the pool again? We can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of pools, my next song <laughs> is gonna be. By the way, that was a completely organic segue. That wasn't planned. <laughs> my <laughs> my next song is Magic. Summer. Summer, summer, summer It's like a merry-go-round I see you under the midnight All shackles and bows High shoes with the cleats Tricking a temperamental blow song magic this song i like like you might think which we talked about at the very beginning of the show um magic i only associate with the video i almost can't picture hearing the song in any other format um other than the video but the video was freaking awesome i remember it was just one of the coolest things ever because for those of you that don't remember or if you you know want to go look it up and youtube it that's fine but most people will probably have the memory it's rick okasic at a pool party in la on a in the daytime of course wearing his suit and skinny tie walking on water in the pool around surrounded by a bunch of like circus freaks and carnival people and magicians and balloon animal like it was just the weirdest thing it was almost like he was at a circus that went to an la beverly hills pool party and rick okasic is singing to the crowd standing on water like jesus and he's walking and it's just the weird i mean he must have been dying from heat that day i mean the guy the guy's a vampire but he's walking out in the sun and he's singing and all the stuff and then at the end of the video i remember it was so and this was okay i mean this had early 80s mid 80s maybe i don't remember what year it was but obviously the plank that he was on under the water was only a portion of the pool because then everybody tries to jump up and like dance with them and they all fall into the water. And so this is, 
this is what I remember about the song. I just remember being like, how, how is he standing in the pool with nobody else in? I was like, what the hell? Mama? And of course he was on a piece of plastic, but <laughs> yeah. you know, I didn't know that as a kid. I just thought that was awesome. But so anyway, back to the song. That's So that's how I associate it. But I will say that of all the 80s tinged Cars songs that we've talked about or that you've talked about, this might be really the only one that was kind of new wavy, but I liked it at the time when it initially came out. I kind of rejected all things new wave for the most part. But this song, maybe it's a, maybe I just didn't think it was too new wavy. Maybe that was what it was when I was a kid. But it's a very simple three-chord song. Yep. I mean, it's 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 easy. And the chorus is just, uh-oh, it's magic. That's it. <laughs> that, that's it. But I loved this song when it first came out. And this is one of the rare times I'll say that about a car song. Yeah, and I I love this song too. And I, I mentioned that Drive is maybe in like top three songs. This one might be t- number four. Um, this <laughs> okay. is really one of my favorites. I like the song for all the reasons that you said. And I, I do remember the video. And I re- like God that jacket, like that. God, <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's like one of the things that I I like just. There's a there's a line that he says with cleats a clicking. And if you really listen close, like if you like if you have headphones on or earbuds or something, you hear there's like a click clack sound that follows that. Like he threw that into the sound, like yeah, cleats oh, a clicking, sure. click, 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 and it's like a clacking sound. It's like, whoa, did I hear that? Like I'd never heard that until. But yeah. Hey, I wonder if it was the same effect that they use in the song that we're gonna bring up later on in the show. Oh. If awesome. you're thinking about the the last song you're gonna pick, mm-hmm. I think there was a very click clack sound in that. There is, yeah, actually, there is, yeah. Interesting. Okay, foreshadowing. Okay, <laughs> right. Well, not getting there yet, but um, <laughs> another one on my list is "I'm Not the One." I'm not the one that you'll be shooting for. I'm not the one who's coming back for more. Been through this too many times. It's never clear what's mine. Going round and round, cause you can't get on your feet. Going round and round, still taking all the heat. This is possibly my second favorite song. Um, Ooh, really? Yeah, this okay. is another one that is on my night driving playlist. Uh, <laughs> probably like the signature night driving playlist. Um, it's just got this haunting melody that I, I really like. It's just kind of like very slow, very down. Um, when isolated, the synth sound like really sounds like an old video game. <laughs> Like, mm. I have to say, like, if you just pulled the, the synths out, huh. it sounds like something from Zelda or one of the classic <laughs> Nintendo games that we would have played. It's like almost Muzak in its pitch. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, what do they way, call that? 8-bit kind of like yeah, Nintendo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, it, like, somehow somehow it's integrated perfectly into this into this song that's just very kind of, like, low and, and melodic, but it definitely it has this haunting sound is just kind of the the atmosphere that i I think about with this one so yeah yeah i would go if if this song to you is your night driving song this song to me would be night driving with the body in the trunk (laughs) (laughs) 
that's that's what this would be this this song this was dark and this was atmospheric and very very this feels soundtracky kind of thing but like to a god to like a horror movie kind of thing but not not in a bad way i I mean it's just it's just a very i mean even the chord structure i think it's b minor and f sharp minor i think are the chords for that i've played this before and it's like it's it's just weird it's like not there's just nothing nothing simple about it it's really you know he obviously chose you know the chords in the in the minor key and it's dark and it sounds to me it always sounded a little bit like the cure but with atmospherics of like some of george michael's darker stuff yeah um uh or like even some some old men at work stuff like not their popular stuff but you know i don't know how many people have actually listened to men at work that wasn't singles but you know there was just some 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 weird atmospheric stuff but yeah this is a song that's kind of it's just i think you summed it up perfectly it's just a haunting song Mm mm-hmm for the the night driving like that like kind of like that spooky haunting melody like for that playlist other pumpkin songs that i have on there would be i from lost highway um, mm, yeah and then, yeah then the slow version of speed kills from machina 2 oh yes <laughs> which unfortunately never got played live they always played the faster version of it live oh, all right what's next <laughs> all right so the next song on my list is tonight she comes So this song, this song was interesting because I like this song. I, I remember hearing it. It didn't, you know, it didn't make me want to run out and buy anything. It didn't make me, you know, like say, oh my God, I've got to hear this. But I liked it. It was, it was definitely like I would have graded it like a B on, on the list of radio songs that I was hearing at the time. And I think maybe this was another one that I might've heard dad play on a record, you know, something like that. But so I looked this up as, as we studied, as we prepped for this show, you know, I did a little bit of research cause I didn't know much about it, but I found that this was supposed to be a Rick solo song. He wrote this as a solo song, not to make on their album. And the band heard it and liked it and said, no, you got to bring that to us. <laughs> like, you don't get to keep it. <laughs> like, you know, that's not fair. And so they, you know, they made them do it. And I think it, this song, it wasn't a single, but it made their greatest hits kind of thing. It was like, this obviously got some, see the cool thing about album oriented rock in like the seventies and eighties too, was like, you weren't re- stations weren't relegated to just playing singles. Yeah. They could play whatever the hell they wanted. You know, there were deep album cuts played all the time. And that's how some songs and bands got popular. Because they were the radio station would play a song and people would call in and be like, "What the hell was that? That was awesome. Play it again." So this was one of those things. Now, further research into the song, I I love the fact that I was such an idiot novice as a child. I never ever got the double entendre of the title. <laughs> <laughs> it never ever once like I I literally thought my entire life the song was like, "Oh, she's coming over." <laughs> I didn't realize how sexualized the lyrics are. And you talked about this earlier. Rick Ocasek has a very subtle way of playing 
with his lyrics. It's clever in the fact that they seem simple. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost like it, it's it's smarter than he's he's smarter than you by writing dumb things, if that makes sense. You know, yeah. it's that's the way I kind of feel. And this song is very, very sexualized, <laughs> but I never heard it. I was, you know, I was just a complete idiot thinking, oh, yeah, he's talking about some chick coming over. Cool. Okay, <laughs> I get it. And that was it. Now, the last thing I'm going to say about it was I thought that this had one of the cooler rock solos of yes. a lot of a lot of their stuff and they weren't really a band that you would think of as having a great guitarist and Elliot Easton, their guitar player, of course, this is why it's so interesting that I would be drawn to the solo of this. Mm-hmm. He apparently had a Kramer custom built guitar because he wanted it to sound like Eddie Van Halen in beat it or something. <laughs> and, and that kind of, so he made a, he found out Eddie Van Halen was doing building guitars for Kramer and he had one built and that's the sound. And it's so funny that I'm like, Oh, I loved Van Halen at the time. Okay. This never made the connection before, but liked the solo. And I think that's real. That's just a cool bit of knowledge that I found. Yeah, that was my main note for the song. Was like I really dig the solo. I, I really love it. It like starts about mm-hmm. a minute and forty five seconds into the song, uh, and it just and you're right. It, it kind of hits you because it's like you're right. Like this isn't a band that I would associate with rock solos. Like in the most like it's it does seem kind of like unique, but it's just it's really really well done. It's good. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I'll even take it a step farther in the sense that. It seems like in the music industry and in the guitar playing industry, especially, a lot of people know who Elliot Easton is, even though you don't think of, the average person doesn't think of the bars like they think of the cars. Maybe they know Ben Orr. They definitely know Rick Kasich, but that's about it. Like they don't think of I bet you I would be hard pressed to find 100 people ask a hundred people to find one that knew all four members of the cars yet in the industry, it seems like a lot of people know the guitar player, Elliot Easton. And so I think that's maybe a testament to, you know, that must be something we're missing because he's apparently a pretty damn good guitarist. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Another one for me. Shake it up. I put on the list uh, just because it, well, it's it's probably the second most popular, at least. I, I mean, I don't know if it was the second most on the charts, but for me like it always seemed like this was coming up right behind, uh, you might think. Um, I just always remember this one. It just seemed like it was a popular hit. Um, I, I consider leaving this off of my list, but it's just it's really, really catchy. Um, <laughs> and again, lyrically sort of structure-wise it does this is another one that reminds me of something like the big bopper kind of like an old-fashioned yeah, rock song or something right. like that <laughs> yeah i'll even yeah i don't have a whole lot to add to it and i'm not even going to try but I, I you know i i knew that this 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 i've heard the demo of this song like if you look it up the demo of it is old from when they released it which means that they he must have been sitting on it for a while mm. and probably probably because it's just kind of a simple kind of a dumb song like i I could yeah. see like them saying like oh that's not good enough to make an album kind of thing now the best part about this song that i got a reference oh and i should also say that apparently taylor swift's shake it off was stolen from the title of this 
That's I should point that out. I don't know if she if she it was the rest of the song was influenced by it at all, but it would make sense if you hear the story I'm about to tell. And that is they when this song became a hit and they were doing interviews and they were on MTV News. Remember MTV News? Yep. Kurt they were doing M- yeah, they did MTV <laughs> News and stuff and they were somebody asked Ben Orr about the song and he said you know, this is a very existential song. It's about, you know, it's deeper than people think. It's about leaving your mark on the world and doing something while you're here. He's like shaking up the establishment, you know, and all this stuff. He's like, do something, go out and do something. And he made it this big, big, you know, outside of yourself kind of statement about the song. And later, I don't know if it was immediately after or a year later or years later. I don't know. But later, somebody asked Rick Ocasek about the same. Somebody asked him about it. And they were like, this is what Ben Orr said and everything like that. Rick Ocasek laughed and said, the lyrics sucked. I was just having fun. I'm not proud of those lyrics. He goes, no, it meant nothing. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't know which side is true. If Ben was just making a statement on his own because he was embarrassed or if Rick was now just messing with the media yeah i don't know which one's true but i think it's great that the writer of the song eventually said like no there was no there was no beaming to it <laughs> it's like that's just that's awesome that contradiction between the two is pretty funny i was like i, I would that, that could be true or he could be just trolling ben or something that's what like i mean that. that's what i mean it's like i don't know who's who i don't like i could i could see rick totally like maybe it was a really deep deep song and ben was releasing information to the world that you know like was like now look at me look at what we did and then rick could be just yeah he could be he could be just like i'm gonna dig my buddy (laughs) i'm gonna throw darts all right what do you have for your last one on the list all right my last one i saved this for last because this is my favorite this is definitely hands down my favorite car song and i'm gonna go with just what i needed I don't mind you hanging out and talking in your sleep. Doesn't matter where you've been, as long as it was deep, yeah. You always knew to wear it well, and you look so fancy, I can tell. I don't mind you hanging out and talking in your sleep. song is probably first of all this was this was my favorite song from jump as ryan would say um i loved this song when i first heard it i loved this song for years anytime somebody would talk about the cars if i had to pick a song i liked it would be this one i loved the fact that this song has been covered before and i love the fact that when i recently looked it up for this show i also got some new information that i think is even cooler so this was one of their breaks this was the song that probably broke them as a band and what I heard was that this song gained a lot of radio play and traction as it was a demo. Apparently, their entire first album was recorded. All the songs were recorded as demos. And they were shopping it around. I want to say like it got picked up by a, a station like Boston or something. It was somewhere on the East Coast. And 
some radio station, some indie radio station liked it and started playing it and started playing some of the songs off it. And they were crappy versions. They were demos. But people started to call in. They said they liked it. They were like, who is that? What is that? You know, we'll play it again, play it again. And this was the song that most people responded to, which led to them. And again, this is I correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not an expert on this. I'm just these are some of the things that I piece together from different different articles but it sounds like just what i needed was the song that most people responded to which then got them more gigs which then got them a record deal which got them in the studio to re-record the entire album and then go on and on but this song this song was like their break <laughs> that's what i've heard so one of the the thing that i probably and, and this was probably god i want to say this was 1975 76 maybe i know that their album was released in what 78 i think yeah um 78 and this was the first single so i know that part so that's it lends credence to the story um i think it's cool you you'll probably i don't know if you'll recognize his name you should uh the debut album was produced by roy thomas baker who produced smashing pumpkin zeitgeist um okay so he's kind of a weird dude he first of all his fingerprints are on a lot of things if you google him oh my god he's recorded it's no surprise that he recorded you know, two of our favorite bands because he recorded everybody. But I think it's very, very cool that we've made a couple references to the Pumpkins in this podcast. And it's neat that they had a, the same producer do two of their albums. So I thought that was cool. Now, the last thing I'm going to say about the song is I heard this song played live as a cover by another band. <laughs> and the other band was Poison. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that would get a laugh out of you. So I sheepishly, with my tail between my legs, will say, it kicked ass. This was, they played it as a hard rock, or a glam rock. I mean, okay. Poison yeah, was yeah. never a hard rock band, let's be honest. Okay. They were a glam rock band. But I saw them play it, and CC DeVille, the guitar player, it was just rip through this song and made it electric and driving and hard. And I think, I, I want to say it was an encore for a Poison show I saw. And I just remember, and it's, it was just, I was like, oh my God, I forgot how good this song is. And maybe it's because I'd never seen it live before. Hmm. So I'd only gone off of the song. And I think it probably was sold to commercials. I feel like I've seen this song as an advertisement as yeah, well. Yeah. The cars. But when I saw this song live with a heavy driving guitar, I, it, something about it was just like, okay, all right, I'm 100% sold. This is my favorite car song. And I'll leave it at that poison did it <laughs> oh man i'm gonna have to seek that out and see if i can find that um yeah i i like this one i, I love the intro like the riff at the beginning of the song mm-hmm. it's just always kind of caught me and like hooked on me that's that's good um uh, yeah i can't get over the poison thing though <laughs> <laughs> i do i was i was afraid. i wish you didn't ask i should have just said i heard it played live and left it <laughs> No, you know, you know. Hey, you were you were Brett Michaels for Halloween. I, I was, you know, put that put it down. Future podcast, we'll do a poison <laughs> show. So, all right. Well, then, moving on. My final pick for this episode <laughs> is my favorite song by the Cars. Since you're gone. Since you're gone, the nights are getting straight. Since you're gone, well, nothing is making sense. 
as you mentioned before, the, when we were foreshadowing, this one opens up with a little soft clicking noise. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's it's used for a percussion effect. It, it sounds like the tapping of a pencil on a desk. But yeah, I, yeah. I don't know if it's actually drums or it could be a keyboard that just has that sound effect quality or something like that. That's that's kind of like the, the tease to get you into the song and then the guitar comes in, but it's a slow kind of driving, slow building guitar. Yeah, it's just there's something like the, the melody of this one hooked me. I like the fact that he could rhyme the word treacherous with mess. <laughs> I, I, just, I was like, nice, well, not enough people use the word treacherous in songwriting. And that's, that's pretty No, that's a tough one. Yeah. That's that, yeah. Um, but for lyrics. It's like a triple word score. <laughs> But lyrically, it it comes down to the very end, and it's not complicated lyrics. But the first time I remember hearing them, the first time, and they just it hit me in a weirdly kind of like profound way. It's the way the song ends is: "Since you're gone, I never feel sedate. Since you're gone, the moonlight ain't so great." Yeah. And I I posted that lyric when he died because I was yeah. just like, that always yeah. kind of reminded me of like him and his lyrics and and that the, the, just the ways like that's kind of like the memory that takes takes me out of this song and i just sort of think about it and i, I love that line the the moonlight ain't so great yeah um this could this transitions to being sort of like it's close to my night driving cd but it's also there's <laughs> yeah. a, uh, just like the the clickety clackiness of the beginning gives it a little bit more pep so it's just kind of like a uh, something else. It's it it's, uh, feels like it's kind of between stages, but it's it's yeah good yeah yeah that's interesting. It's, it's actually I think it's it has the the cinematic quality again. Like it it could be like on a soundtrack or something like that, which we've said about a couple of their songs. This would feel like a scene of like a kind of slow motion pan over a wall of like photos and memories and things like that of something kind of like yeah and, oh yeah I can absolutely see a video in my head yeah. not the one that they made. But like, you know, I, no, 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 I, I'm not trying to detract from it. But I mean, like in my own head, like in a movie, I could see this being a montage of yeah. like memory yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, that's that's really easy. Yeah. You know, this song. OK, so I've already mentioned what my favorite Cars song was. Now, this song, believe it or not, would be the song I would most love to cover in a live show. Hmm. And I, I think you and I talked about it prior. Maybe I think, God, I think I want to say. I had t- asked you about, like, I was doing a bunch of 80s songs that I was putting together a list because I was going to do a cover album of my favorite covers. And I remember, I thought, I want to say it was the summer. So it had to be before Rick Kasich died. Sure, yeah, yeah. But I think, I, I remember asking you, like, hey, hey, just throw me a couple covers that I wouldn't think of, you know, like 80s. It wanted, I wanted it to be, like, a certain era. And you threw this one out. And I remember thinking like, okay, I'm not really, I'm not that familiar with it. And I went back and listened to it a little bit. You won me over. This song is definitely, I mean, there's certain, there's a depth of lyric to this song that they don't usually have in their other ones. Cause we've referenced how playful and silly they are and stuff and simple. And he thrives on simplicity. There's depth of feeling to this song that, you know, it, it kind of gets you, kind of tugs at your heartstrings a little bit. And part of it is at the musician in me, reacts to the ebo sound effect on the guitars the high whiny yeah you know yeah, that yeah. the, there's the guitar effect and for those of you that aren't familiar with it look up e dash bow um what an ebo effect is because that's the sound that it it's it's almost bigger than the guitar solo in this it almost kind of it dominates that mm-hmm. and it sounds like a whine 
or a keyboard or like some sort of whistle kind of thing, but it, it hurts. It almost like it's sad. And I use it to great effect in a lot of stuff I do. <laughs> I think it's a great, I'm, it's one of my favorite effects. I, I love it. I did a almost my entire, Ryan, you know, my, almost my entire album of all fall down had Ebo in it yeah, somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, you know, even, okay, since we're digging retro, let's go, the, you know, the Pumpkins did a lot on Adore. Mm-hmm. The Adore album had a ton of Ebo in it. Um, this is something, it, it's, there's something about this song that you, you kind of got me to revisit it and appreciate it now. And I would play this. I, I love this song. I would love to sing it and play it. And it's haunting and sad and something about it. It, it, it lingers. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's that's this one. It's not my favorite car song, but I would definitely do this one live. Cool, cool. And I, I would enjoy that because it is. Uh, it is my favorite song. <laughs> yeah. um, and hopefully Phoebe Cates will come out of the pool. Tonight she comes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get Timothy Hutton to do the video. <laughs> Oh, God, I got a lot of weird new information out of this episode. (laughs) Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, we are the gift that keeps on giving. (laughs) Uh, And we're probably going to leave it at that. Um, It's never a band that I'm going to think, like, oh, yeah, the Cars are, like, one of my favorites, but it's a a band that, like, I... I constantly like if I'm listening to their song, I'm digging it. I, I, I just, they, I mean, we got like I could have had any of these songs on my list, and this is we're we're gonna have end up like 14 needle drops on this episode. That's a whole album sure. of just yeah. great classic music. Um, yeah, that's uh, that I, I'm really proud of. So yeah, I mean, any any artist or band that can do that and still still have relevance and, and still connect with people, you know, this this much later. Um, yeah, it's worth. I, I'm glad we got to. I'm glad that you agreed to do this little tribute episode because this is just something that you know. I, I thought I was like, you know what? I'm probably not going to have another opportunity to talk about them, so let's do it now. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's kind of it's it's a little bit it's it's a bitter it's a bittersweet kind of feeling because you know we are unfortunately now at an age where our heroes are dying, mm-hmm. and that's that's a reality. But we're also in an age where because of technology and stuff, you know, not only do we discover it more, but we have access to it more, you know, than than ever before. So unfortunately, a lot of our predecessors are passing away, but then we can go revisit them and reappreciate. And that's something that, you know, it sucks that it happens, but I can say I definitely have a deeper appreciation and respect for the cars now from Rick Ocasek's passing than I did, you know, a a couple months ago. So that, you know, I'll just leave it at that. Like this is, we're, we're in an age where this is going to keep happening. It's unfortunate. It's going to keep happening, but Anything, you know, if it makes us go back and listen to and appreciate the work of an artist, then it's it's good. Uh, yeah, and that's probably a good place to leave it. So, um, as always, listeners, thank you very much for tuning in. Fire & Water Records is a proud part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com, as well as Facebook and Twitter. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For information on how you can support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. 
And if you like the show but you don't wish to support us through Patreon, please go to iTunes and leave a nice five-star review for Fire & Water Records. Every review helps iTunes push this podcast to a wider and wider audience. All music clips and quoted lyrics are used for entertainment purposes and no copyright infringement is intended, and we are not meant to make you cry. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Phoebe Cates. <laughs> Timothy Hutton? Poison? <laughs> oh, hey, hey, <laughs> rock of love. <laughs> Tonight she comes. <laughs>